You're listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. So Revelation chapter 7 is where we're going to be today. Uh, you know, uh, as uh, I was thinking about today, um, I, I just started asking the question, what do you preach on a day like today? Right? Uh, uh, I, I shared this with, um, with the group who was here last night for the Q&A, uh, that I'm not super creative, uh, and so I like to preach through books of the Bible because then uh, I know where I'm going next. Right? I, I know what, uh, where I'm going. And so I started praying, and there were a, a few different places that, uh, that the Lord uh, kind of laid on my heart. Uh, and the good news about the Bible is it doesn't matter where I landed. Right? It's all God's Word. So He would have had something to say to us. Um, but the Lord just kind of directed my heart here to Revelation 7. Now, what I know is whenever I said, turn in your Bibles to Revelation, some of you got excited because you thought he's going to give me a map and a chart to explain everything that's happening in the world today. Uh, others of you got nervous because you said he's going to give me a map and a chart to explain uh, what is happening. Well, I'm going to disappoint both of you. Uh, that is not what we're doing. All right? that, is not, uh, that is not where we're going. Uh, so if you remember back, and you, you probably don't, I don't blame you, in September... Uh, when our church entered into this transition season, uh, that first Sunday, uh, I got to preach, and I preached from Acts chapter 1, uh, on the truth that the Spirit-empowered mission never stops. Uh, and I believe that. Uh, and, and we have seen that here at Central over the last several months. As we've been in this transition season, uh, we've seen people baptized. We got to, we get to celebrate Javen getting baptized, right? That's that video that you saw. Last week, we had baptisms. We have more people in, uh, in line to be baptized in the coming week. We're seeing people baptized. We're seeing uh, disciples made. We're seeing people sent out to, to serve our community, uh, to serve our nation, to, to serve our world. We're seeing people keep giving to the mission. And so I'm convinced that the Spirit-empowered mission never stops. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to spend a little bit of time looking at maybe the other end. We might think of this as kind of the bookends. Uh, if Acts 1 was the first one, then, then this is the next one. It's basically, why do we do this? Why does the mission matter? What's the point? Why do we need to be focused on this mission that Jesus has left for us? And so as we look at Revelation chapter 7 this morning, we're going to see this truth. The gospel advance is guaranteed because God cannot fail. Gospel advance is guaranteed because God cannot fail. See, it doesn't matter uh, who stands in this pulpit. It doesn't matter who, who leads this church, who's the pastor of this church. The gospel is going to go forward because God cannot fail, and God has promised that it will go forward. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we are going to get a picture of what happens at the end. What happens when the gospel has gone forward, that the gospel has accomplished what God set it out to do? What does that look like? Uh, so look with me at Revelation chapter 7. We're going to begin uh, in verse 9, and we're going to work our way down to verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen. Let me go ahead and invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word that is true. Father, I pray this morning that we would get a picture of the resurrected and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray this morning that the focus of our time together would be you. And that you would speak to us even now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see three truths about the gospel. Three truths about this gospel that will advance, that is guaranteed because our God cannot fail. The first truth is this. We're going to see that the scope of the gospel is global. The scope of the gospel is global. The gospel is not just a message for one people or one nation. It's the good news for the globe. It's good news for every nation and for all people. See, this gospel is going to advance, and it's not just going to advance through Sanford. It's not just going to advance through Central Florida. It's not just going to advance through the United States or through North America. The gospel is going to advance to every people and every tribe and every tongue and every nation because Jesus came to save the world. He didn't come just to save America. He didn't come just to save one group. Jesus is the Savior, what Paul says to Timothy, of all men, especially those who believe. And so this gospel is good news for the globe. Now, when we approach the book of Revelation, we've got to understand what we're coming to. So as we read this book, it's tempting to read this book as a guide for the end times. It's tempting to want to approach this book as a question and answer book for what the Lord is going to do whenever Jesus returns. But that is not primarily the purpose of the book of Revelation. The purpose of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is to encourage churches that were suffering and struggling. So if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, we would get this vision of who Jesus is. He's the one who walks amongst the churches. And then in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, you have where Jesus is speaking to the seven churches in Asia Minor. He's speaking to these churches. He's telling them exactly what each church needs to know individually. And then the rest of the book is an encouragement for these churches so that they know that as they suffer and as they struggle, it will all be worth it in the end because here is the point of the book of Revelation in two words. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. That's the point of the book. The point of the book, the purpose of the book, isn't to answer all of our questions. The purpose of the book is to encourage us to know that doesn't matter necessarily what's happening here, that that doesn't determine or display God's love for us. What matters is that Jesus has defeated sin. Jesus has defeated death. And if we will put our trust and our hope in Him, then there is coming a day when we will be with Him. We will be like Him in heaven on the new heavens, the new earth forever because Jesus has won. And because Jesus won, we don't have to, right? Because Jesus was obedient, because Jesus did everything necessary for salvation, we're united to Him, then Jesus' victory is our victory. 
Jesus' good news is our good news. And so uh, this book, it's apocalyptic, right? It talks about the end, but the main point is that Jesus wins. And here in Revelation 7, we get a picture of what does this victory look like? So here in Revelation 7, we actually have the first future vision in the book of Revelation. This is what commentators will call the first proleptic vision. So this is a vision that John has received from the Lord Jesus Christ into the future of what does eternity, what does the future look like? So the passage begins here in verse 9, after this, I looked. So what is after this? Well, John has just heard the sealing of the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. And now there's a couple of different ways to approach that. But uh, I think when we read it in context here, that's symbolic for the sealing of believers everywhere. For the, the sealing of all believers throughout all of time and all of history. And so he's heard the sealing of the 144,000 and now he sees a great number of the people of God from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so John will do this a couple times through the book of Revelation. Uh, he'll say something like, uh, here in Revelation 9, first he heard and then he saw. In Revelation 5, he says that he heard a lion, but he saw a lamb. And so here he says, I, I heard the 144,000, but I see a multitude from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. He goes to, to great lengths to underscore the scope of who he sees. He, he isn't just seeing Israelites here. He says it's a great multitude that no one could number. And, and underline, circle that, highlight that phrase, a great multitude, because what he's doing there is he's calling us back to a promise made to Abraham in the Old Testament that we'll look at here in just a minute, but it's a multitude that no one could number. And who makes up this multitude? It's people from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, from all languages. See, he's, he's hitting that exclamation point on uh, who it is that's around the throne. Uh, who's around the throne? It, it's not just people that look like one another. It's not just people that look like you and that look like me or that look like them. No, it's people from all tribes and all tongues and all nations worshiping the same king, right? The great uniter, the great unifier, the hope of the world, the hope for our nation is not another program. It's not something else that we can try. It's not more psychology or sociology. The hope for our country, the hope for the world, is more theology. It's more God. It's more Jesus. And so they're gathered around this throne, and they're worshiping the Lamb who was slain. This group, they're, they're clothed in white robes. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb waving palm branches. Now, these white robes, these are important. See, these white robes, they symbolize purity and victory. See, white robes are what the victors would wear as they would go through the parade, marching through the streets. The victors have come home and they are clothed in white. What Jesus is saying here, what He's showing to John, is that this multitude, they're victorious. They have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. But there's kind of a, a double meaning here, a double entendre. What's happening here is it's not just that they are victorious, but also that they have been washed clean. 
They wear white robes of purity. And where does this purity come from? Well, this purity comes from Jesus. I love what Spurgeon said about this picture. He said, see, on that day, our robes will be white because his, because Jesus' robes were red. See, because Jesus died in our place, we're made pure. It's not that we made ourselves pure. It's not that we were good enough Christians. It's not that we, we prayed enough or we did this enough. No, it's because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. Jesus makes us white. Jesus makes us clean. Jesus makes us pure. That's not something that we can accomplish on our own. And so the first part of this vision, these people around the throne, this is the fulfillment of really two promises. So first, it's the fulfillment that God made to Abraham, the the promise that God made to Abraham there in Genesis 12, that he would be a blessing to all nations and that his descendants would number as many as the sand on the seashore. But it's also the fulfillment of another promise in the New Testament. It's the fulfillment of the promise of the Great Commission. Now, maybe when you think about the Great Commission, you don't think about the Great Commission as a promise, but that's exactly what the Great Commission is, that we would go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and then here's the promise, and lo, behold, I'm with you always. The reason Jesus is with us always is so that we would see that mission accomplished. And so here in Revelation 7, what we have is we have the fulfillment that the mission has been accomplished and the mission has been accomplished not because we were great witnesses, but because Jesus' power was so great in us, driving us, motivating us, pushing us to live on the mission that he has left for us. See, it's something that Jesus' last words were go into all the world and be my witnesses. We might think of it like this, that Jesus' last words should be our first work. See, in this vision, we see the diversity of the world. And what we see is that in diversity, God is magnified. In other words, diversity was God's idea. See, Jesus is the Savior of all nations. That's why here at Central, we want to be a multi-ethnic church We want to be a multi-ethnic church, not just because we think it sounds nice or or not just because we think that that would be really cool. We want to be a multi-ethnic church first because we want to look like our community, but more importantly, we want to be a multi-ethnic church because we want to look like heaven. See, if you don't like diversity, don't go to heaven, right? That's the picture that we get here, right? Every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation. I had a Hebrew professor tell us one time that we should learn Hebrew because that's the language that we will speak in heaven. And I thought, well, I'm not getting in, right? Uh, I'm barely passing this class. I'm not getting in. See, we want to be a multi-ethnic church, but we don't just want to be a multi-ethnic church. We want to be a multiplying church. See, that's the other picture that we see here. That the reason that these people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every language, the reason that they are around the throne is first because Jesus has died to save them, but second, because someone has taken the gospel to them. See, believers had multiplied themselves. See, Carl Henry, he would say this. He would say that the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. We want to be a church that is an on-time church. 
Well, we want to be a church that is serious about multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches, not just here in Sanford and in Florida, but all the way around the world. We want to be a church that impacts eternity. See, I wonder how this picture is different because of the ministry of Central Church. How is our church impacting? How has our church impacted eternity? Well, only heaven knows. There's no telling after decades and decades and decades of faithfulness from Central. How many people will be around that throne because they heard the gospel in a worship service at Central? How many people will be around that throne because they heard the gospel in our central kids ministry or in our central students ministry or in our legacy adult ministry or in our worship ministry or through 4 Central Florida? How many people will be around the throne not because they ever set foot in central, but because central went to them? Because we were serious about getting the gospel everywhere it needs to go. And here is what I am convinced of that there are more people who will be around this throne, but they need to hear the gospel through the ministry of Central Church. I'm convinced that there is still work left to be done. That God isn't done with Central yet. That God isn't through. That He hasn't said, you know what, y'all just coast because the glory days were behind. You know, I'm convinced that if God has left us here, then what that means is that He has work for us to do. He's calling us to something. He's calling us to be His hands and His feet and His mouthpiece. This is why Romans 10 says, how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will they preach unless they are go? And how will they go unless they are sent? Well, we want to be a Romans 10 church. Well, we want to be a church that is serious about sending and about going and about sharing and about preaching the good news of the gospel. And so we want to be a church that is serious about making disciples in the way that the New Testament teaches us to make disciples. And the way that the New Testament teaches us to make disciples is not to hold crusades. The way the New Testament teaches us to make disciples is to plant churches. Right, That's what Paul does. Paul goes and he plants churches. And so we're going to be a church that is a church planting church because we want to be a church that is a multiplying church. We want to be a church that is serious about seeing the gospel take root in Central Florida. We want to be a church that is serious about seeing a great movement of God. I think all of us would say, hey, I want to be used by the Lord. I think all of us would say, I want to experience what does it look like to see a great wave, a great movement of the Lord in my day. Well, here's my question. Why can't that movement start here now today? Why not Central? Why not Sanford? Why not Central Florida? If not us, then who? And so we've got to be a church that is serious about seeing this vision come to fruition so that our church would be a little picture, a little taste of what heaven is like. See, the gospel is guaranteed to advance to every tribe. This isn't a possibility. This is a coming reality. The game is fixed. The outcome is decided. My boys believe they're superheroes. Uh, They love to fight. They uh, love to be Captain America and Spider-Man and Iron Man and whoever it may be. And uh, over the last year or so, we've been watching some of these superhero movies. Now, we've got to be careful because uh, we've noticed that when we watch superhero movies, our boys get more violent. 
right? They, uh, they turn into Power Rangers, and I'm the bad guy. <laughs> and one of the things that, that gets me about these movies is about halfway through these movies, it looks like the superhero is going to die, right? The superhero is in trouble. And so I start getting anxious I look over and my boys, they've got the blanket up over their face. And right now it's a Bucky's blanket, so it's a big beaver on uh, that they've got pulled up uh, to their faces. And they're nervous about what's going to happen. But here's the thing. We already know that Spider-Man lives because the next movie is already out, right? We already know that, uh, that Batman is going to survive because DC's got to keep making money, right? Uh, Disney's got to keep doing this or that. And so oh, we get nervous even though we know that the end is secure. We might get nervous as Christ followers about what the world looks like, about what the culture feels like, but here's the thing, we know the end. And the end is us around the throne worshiping King Jesus who has come to make all of the wrongs right. He's come to forgive our sins and to make us like Him. See, Jesus has promised that the mission will be accomplished. The gospel advance is guaranteed because God cannot fail. And so we see first that the scope of the gospel is global. Next we see this, that the focus of the gospel is God. The focus of the gospel is God. The gospel is about God. If we're not careful, we can make it about us, about how great we are. And, but when we do that, we miss the point. See, the focus of the gospel is not that, that God needed us. No, the focus of the gospel is that we needed God. See, He is the focus. That's why the gospel advances. The gospel advances, it's guaranteed because God is the focus and He cannot fail. Listen to what this multitude sings with a loud voice in verse 10. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, salvation is ultimately about God. Salvation in the simplest terms is God saving us from God. See, God's wrath burns against sin, and you and I have sinned. We've fallen short. But the good news, like we sang, is that our sins are many, but His mercy is more. John Newton said that I am a great sinner, but Christ is a greater Savior. See, salvation is about God. That's why in this verse, it's God who is seated on the throne. Notice that they don't sing, salvation belongs to us because of what we have done and, and Jesus helped. No, that's not what they say. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. That He's the one who's done it all. He's the one who's accomplished it all. And we just get to reap His benefits. We just get to reap His rewards. See, the gospel is simply that that God, He created everything perfect and we messed it up, we sinned. And so God at the right time, He sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and to, to die a sinner's death in our place. Who, Though Jesus had never sinned, He became sin in our place as our substitute. And that on the cross, God poured out His wrath on Jesus for sin. And so now we don't take God's wrath. Jesus has taken God's wrath in our place. 
And three days later, Jesus rose again, conquering sin and conquering death and proving that His sacrifice was acceptable in the sight of God. And now, if we would be saved, if we would be forgiven, if we would be freed from God's wrath against sin, then we put our faith and our hope in Jesus because He's done everything that we need. Now notice who the main actor is in the Gospel. Notice who the one is that took the initiative. Notice who the one is that made the plan. It wasn't us. Who was it? It was God. Because the Gospel is focused on God. Think back to those superhero movies that I mentioned just a minute ago, or maybe to your favorite movie, whatever it may be. You ever try to read the credits? You ever, at the end of the movie, you try to read everyone who's involved? You know, I don't know who made like the skip intro button and skip to next episode button on Netflix, but they are, as the kids say, the real MVP, right? So that you don't, you don't have to watch those things. But I've tried to read them before and eventually I get tired. Uh, From 1994 to 2013, the average number of credits for a single movie was 588. 588 individuals, 588 companies that it took uh, to make a single movie. Now, when I read those credits, uh, there is someone who is conspicuously missing. Right? Uh, there is someone who, who, who I never see their name in the credits, and that someone is me. I never get any credit for being such a great consumer of cinematic products, right? <laughs> they, they never take a moment to say thank you unless it's PBS and then it's, you know, we're supported by viewers like you, not like me. Uh, um, but I've never seen my name in the credits of a movie for just taking the time to watch the movie. I get no credit because I did nothing other than consume and enjoy See, the gospel isn't about us. The gospel is about God. We don't get credit for what God has done because really at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're consuming and we're enjoying. At the end of the day, we are drinking from the fountain that is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. At the end of the day, we're sitting there and we are being washed white as snow. And it's not even that we're doing the scrubbing, but it's that Jesus is doing the pouring. So we get no credit because we get to enjoy it. We just enjoy the reward that Jesus has earned for us. See, this is why a prideful Christian is a walking contradiction. See, the gospel is is the antidote to pride. When we consider, when we think about the fact that it took nothing less than the death of God's Son in our place to make us right with God, That should breed humility in us. That should drive us to love our God who has loved us even when we were not very lovable. See, what Paul says in Romans is not that when we were friends of God, Christ died for us. No, he says that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. If you're here this morning and you have yet to trust Jesus, what the Bible says is that there is enmity between you and God. There is a problem between you and God. That ultimately, that you are God's enemy. But the good news is, is that Jesus has died to make his enemies his friends. See, that's my story. My story is that at one point in my life, I was walking as an enemy of God. 
And then the hound of heaven chased me down, interrupted my life, and saved me. That's the story of many people in this room. And I hope, I hope that that will be your story by the end of the day. That you would trust this Jesus who has done everything to save you. See, in a real way, Jesus died to make us lovely. He died to make us lovable. He died to fix what had gone wrong. And so as Christians, our confidence, our pride, it can't come from ourselves. Any confidence that we have, it must come from God. See, my great hope is not that my kids would have great self-confidence. My great hope is that my kids would have great Christ-confidence. That they would have great God-confidence. I want them to love themselves. I want them to be confident in who God has made them. But ultimately, I want them to trust in Jesus more than they trust in me and more than they trust in themselves. I want them to trust in God, the perfect Father, who will never fail. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. He says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So do you want the Lord to delight over you? Do you want him to delight in your life? Well, if you want the Lord to delight in you, then the secret is, is to boast in Him. See, ultimately, when we get to heaven one day, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, the question is not going to be, how big of a house did you live in? The question is not going to be, what kind of car did you drive? Or how well did you plan for retirement? Or how did your kids turn out? No, ultimately the question is going to be, have you trusted me? Ultimately the question is going to be, was your boast in me or was your boast in yourself? Was your boast in what I have done or was your boast in what you tried to do? And so we want to delight in the Lord, then we will boast in Him. See, this gospel advance, it's guaranteed because God cannot fail. And in this passage, we see that the scope of the gospel is global. The focus of the gospel is God. And then finally, we see this, that the goal of the gospel is worship. The goal of the gospel is worship. We were made to worship. We were made to give glory to God. Our problem is not that we don't know how to worship. Our problem is that we worship ultimately the wrong things. Yet in the gospel, what God does is He reorients our worship because He reorients our hearts. He frees us from worshiping the wrong things, from worshiping ourselves to worshiping the right thing, which is Him. See, ultimately, gospel advance is guaranteed because the God who cannot fail is worthy of our worship. And He isn't just worthy of the worship of the people sitting in this room. He's not just worthy of the worship of the people in our country. Jesus is worthy of the worship of Americans and Ukrainians. He's worthy of the worship from Mexico to Malawi, from Iceland to Australia. Jesus is worthy of the worship of all people. In verses 11 and 12, we see the response to the good news that, that Jesus has saved people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that response is worship. Look at verse 11. 
He says, and all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. Now these elders and the four living creatures, uh, they, they come up through the book of Revelation and there's some, some disagreement on who they are, but I think in the context here uh, and in the context in other places, these elders and these four living creatures, they're actually all angelic beings. Now maybe there's a difference there, but uh, they're all angelic beings. And so these angelic beings, they fall on their face before the throne of God. Verse 11, he says, the four living creatures, they they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Well, why did they fall on their faces? This is an act of humility. This is an act of them seeing, of them understanding, of them grasping who God is and who they are. And they're overcome by the joy of salvation. Verse 11, he says, they they fall on their faces before the throne and they worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. These angels, they're responding to the salvation that God has won. What's interesting here, though, is that angels have no need of salvation. Angels are sinless. Now, angels are different from us. They're not made in the image of God. And so when someone dies, they don't become an angel. And when someone dies, they become something much better than an angel. Uh, They become exactly who they were created to be, a perfect image bearer of God who has a perfect relationship with Him. See, angels are different than people. They, They have no need of salvation, yet here they're filled with joy at the thought of our salvation. If you were to go to 1 Peter 1, you would read in verse 12 about the angels who long to look into the gospel. They understand God's great mercy and God's great salvation and the great grace that He has given to people, and so they long to look into it. And so in verse 12, they respond to this salvation saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving. They're not giving any quality to God that he doesn't already possess. Instead, they're just simply recognizing what is already true of him. They're recognizing what is already true of our God. See, that's ultimately what worship is. Worship is ascribing to God the worth that is already his. It's recognizing who God is, what He has done, and then responding back to Him with that truth, with that good news. And so we don't have to think up a God in our minds that is worth worshiping. No, our God is already worthy of worship. And any God that we might be able to conjure would be less than this God that we have here in the Bible. Our God is already worthy of worship, and He's worthy of the worship of all people in all places at all times. The way the angels speak of God is they give Him glory. That's recognizing His status. They talk about His wisdom, which is, that word literally is transcendent wisdom unlike ours. They give Him thanksgiving and honor. That's respect that only God deserves. They give Him power and might, which is the ability to never fail. In other words, God is always effective. He he's always accomplishes what He sets out to do. This God, our God, is worthy of worship for all of eternity. And that's the goal of the gospel is that many people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation would one day be around the throne singing the praises to our God. So here's my question for you this morning. When was the last time that you just stopped to consider God? When was the last time you took to slow down and to think about who God is and what He is like? 
See, the worship that we see here from the angels, that doesn't come from shallow thoughts. That doesn't come from church once a week. It comes from a place of not only knowing Him, but being in love with Him and being excited about Him. See, too often whenever we think about God, we we think about God through a microscope when really we should be thinking about Him through a telescope. I think microscopes are super cool, right? You can take these little things, you can put them under the microscope, and ultimately, microscopes are for studying small things that we can manipulate. And too often we approach God through the microscope when really we should be approaching Him through the telescope. See, telescopes are for beholding massive things that we struggle to comprehend. Telescopes are for beholding the beauty of something that is larger and greater and grander than this earth can contain. See, that's who our God is. Our God can't be contained by this world. Our God can't be contained by this universe. He can't be contained by our mind, by our thoughts, by, uh, by our words. No, God is greater. He is bigger than that. And so when we approach God, when we think about God, we've got to approach Him with a telescope mentality. We've got to approach Him in awe and in wonder and in reverence that this holy and powerful and righteous and mighty God, that this God would welcome us into a relationship with Him. That this God would call us to not only know Him, but to be known by Him. See, this gospel that secures that, it's guaranteed to advance. And it's guaranteed to advance because God cannot fail. God has never attempted, He's never tried and failed at anything. He always accomplishes what He attempts. See, the scope of this gospel, it's global, it's for all people. Uh, The focus is on God, it's not on us, and the goal is worship, recognizing what is true about God and what He has done. Now we look at this picture, and then we look at the world today, and it's easy to get discouraged. This is exactly why the book of Revelation was written. It was written to encourage discouraged believers. And so this morning, I want to encourage you with this truth. Be encouraged that no matter what, Jesus wins. No matter what, Jesus wins. The gospel will advance, and one day we will be around the throne, united with brothers and sisters from across the globe and across time, worshiping the one who is worthy of worship. But see, this passage isn't just an encouragement, it's also a challenge. If Jesus is worthy of our worship then, then He's worthy of our worship now. He's worthy of our worship. So whenever we sing, whenever we we listen to God's Word preached, then we should be committed to engaging fully because He's worthy of that worship. But what this also means is that the mission that He has given us is critical. The mission He's given us is critical because Jesus is worthy of the worship of our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members. And whenever we fail to make much of Jesus, we rob God of His glory. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so as a church, we've got to be committed. We've got to be committed to multiplication. We've got to be committed to this reality that God has called us to multiply disciples that would follow Jesus. He's called us to multiply leaders that can serve His church for decades to come. And He's called us to multiply churches here in Sanford and around the world. 
And we've got to be committed to that task. We've got to be committed to that vision because Jesus is worthy of worship. Maybe this morning you would say, Ethan, I don't know about this. Maybe if you're being honest, you would say, Ethan, if... Jesus returned right now, or if my heart stopped beating right now, I don't know that one day that I would be counted in that number from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this morning, we want to extend to you the offer, the opportunity. Not that you need us, but this is a great place, a, a great time. We would love to walk with you. We'd love to talk with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus. Well, what does it look like to trust Jesus? So if you have yet to do that today, man, we would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you. We would love to answer whatever questions you might have. So you can send a text to that number on the screen, 407-338-4024. And there's someone on the other end of that line ready to have a conversation with you, ready to set up a time for for us to talk. Maybe say, Ethan, I, I don't need to send a text. I need to talk to someone. Well, you can go right out those back doors. You can hang a right. And in our next steps room, there are people in there ready to talk with you, ready to pray with you, ready to answer whatever questions you might have. See, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth giving your life. He's worth giving your talent, your time. Jesus is worth it because Jesus has done what we couldn't do. He's given us salvation. He's given us freedom. He's given us eternal life with Him. And so I hope that you are looking forward to this day when we're around the throne, made like Him, singing His praises. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Father, thank You that we know that there's coming a day when we are going to be around your throne singing your praises. And Father, I pray that as we sing now that we would get a little taste of heaven. And God, I pray that there would not be anyone who would leave this place today with a question of whether or not they would be counted in that number. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives. God, that you would apply your gospel to those who need to believe. And God, I pray that that as we look at this vision, as we think about this vision, that Central Church, that we would be a church committed to multiplying churches, to multiplying leaders, to multiplying disciples all over our region, all over our country, all over our world. Not because we are a great church, but because we have a great Savior and because Jesus is worthy of the worship of everyone. God, we pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.